Welcome, everybody. Another Hollywood Godfather podcast. And as you know, the title of our book is My Life in the Movie and the Mob. We had a request from the mailbag a week or two ago asking about Sam DiStefano. And I'm going to let Pat pick it up from here because I didn't realize myself that I met this guy years ago with Nick Nitty. Pat. Okay. Uh, I had only heard of Sam DiStefano. He was uh, an odd sort of guy in that he left his mark on the outfit. He worked out of Chicago, but not too many other people uh, know of him. Uh, Mob aficionados, people who like to follow the mob. He's been dead since 1973. But what a life this guy had. Uh, He was not well known to the general public. But uh, his claim to fame, in, in addition to the other things we'll be talking about, was he brought up Anthony Spilatro and taught uh, Spilotro how to be an enforcer. And we all know about Sp- uh, Spilotro. You know, the, they called him the Ant, and he was uh, he was played by Joe Pesci in Casino. Uh, he was he was considered by the outfit to be genuinely crazy, and therefore he never got made. He was with uh, the outfit for many, many, many years. But no, no, everybody was afraid to deal with this guy except when they needed him. And that was for something violent. He enjoyed torturing people. Uh, one uh, uh, outside in, uh, outfit insider, his name was uh, Charles uh, Cromaldi. You know who he was, right, Johnny? Yeah, Cromaldi. Yeah, Cromaldi. Yeah. He claimed... De Stefano was the devil, and that's a quote. Oh and yeah, De- I mean, he was the one that made the statement because he was. They thought he was nuts. I mean, obviously, and like, like you put- pointed out, he taught Spalato. He had a crew that he was teaching how to torture people. And and and, and, and I don't mean just a slap in the face. I mean this guy over the course of three days. Uh, he would keep you alive. We'll, 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 we'll get into that. Just as a disclaimer, those of you who were squeamish, well, too bad, <laughs> because we're going to talk about what this guy did. No, but the and, FBI itself considered him, the Stefano, as the worst. He went down in the history as the, the most treacherous, feared guy they ever investigated. Yeah, the worst cases of torture that the FBI has ever seen in American history. I know. And that's I mean, saying something. So when he was 18, uh, he moved to Chicago. And in 1927, he uh, raped the girl, got convicted of that. He did three years. You know, it's uh, interesting. Later on in life, as we found out, he said he never raped her. He was set up, which most people well, say. But, I mean, he did do three years. Yeah, but, three years for a rape. I mean, who knows what the laws were like then? I don't know. Uh, he was later convicted of assault with a, with a deadly weapon, bank robbery, extortion, uh, possession of counterfeit stamps. During the war, you were, uh, you were issued stamps to buy stuff, mostly, uh, mostly gas and cloth products. And it was a big uh, black market, and that he got convicted of that. 
1932, he was wounded by a police officer during a grocery store robbery. Uh, and he uh, presented himself in a hospital to get to get patched up, but he didn't say what happened to him. Uh, because, you know, he's not, he's not going to talk. He was uh, he was sentenced to, to 40 years in prison for a bank robbery in 1933. And his sentence was later commuted by Governor Heil uh, in 1942 uh, and uh, released in 1944. I'd like to know who got the, go the governor to... Well, somebody got to the governor. Somebody got to the guy. I mean, 40 years down to 11. He was out in a year. No, he did 11. His sentence, his sentence was commuted by Governor Julius Heil in December 42. But he was still in uh, for another two years. He, he was released in December 1944. So, but still, 11 years when, when it was 40. That's right. Mean, that, that's a federal crime. So he's doing federal time. And if you know anything about federal time, you do the whole bit. There's no such thing as uh, parole in the federal system. You get 20 years, you do 20 years. They'll, they'll, if, you, if you behave yourself, they'll take about 15% off the top. But that's it. There's no parole. There's no five to seven years sentence. But see, yeah, a after that, Momo Giancana, Sam got the, the, his attention and brought him oh. into his gang. The West Side 2042 gang was a treacherous young gang. And they, they were doing loan shark, drugs, everything else. And the outfit gave him the green light on that. Well, that's why they needed this nut. And, uh, and that's why... They kept him around, but they didn't make him because he'd be privy to too much. Oh, yeah. When no. they needed him, they uh They, they did the dirty out. work. Oh, the dirty isn't the word. He enjoyed it. He would giggle and laugh while he was torturing people. No. You know, it's, it's I mean, so funny. As you and I always spoke, with the difference between the five families in New York and the outfit in Chicago, I say it, and I'm sure some, some people get annoyed at me saying it. To me, the outfit in Chicago was so much more organized than the five families because you only had one one major group that was running everything, and, well, they, and they did it well. I mean, the, the, the known street boss was Sam Giancana, but Tony Accardo was always the guy. And, you know, Paul Rico, they had like a, a board of directors, and they ran it, I mean, like a business. Well, I, I guess it's easier to run it that way than than with five entities, you know. Rather well, than yeah, because you have five different you have five different groups that have their soldiers, their egos, and we all know Italians, me being one of them, and you being one of them. Yes, their egos get in the way sometimes. Well, this is how wars start, and that's why the, I think again I say you know, with, they all, yeah, with, with I mean this their organization skills with loan sharking, prostitution, drugs. And then when they got into Vegas and gambling all through the country, that's when, you know, Frank Costello, Maya Lansky, and then created the international syndicate, including them because they were a big part of it. The well, slot machine you, business alone. Apparently some of this uh, organizational skills must have rubbed off on old Sam because he started uh, a loan sharking business uh, and he made uh, he, he started it by using the stolen money from the bank robbery that he did the 11 years for. Right. He hit it, he unearthed it, and that's how he started his loan shark business. 
But he started investing in, in, in Chicago real estate. He bought a 24-suite uh, apartment building, and he used the rent as legitimate income to pay taxes. So he wasn't stupid. He was just crazy. No, and, and not only that, bringing that up, that gave him a legitimacy that he got involved with politics and bribed local aldermen and everybody else. This, this yeah. was in the mid-50s. And this guy now is, you know, and, and after he got so successful, which I thought was interesting doing the research, he started bribing judges and because they thought he was a legitimate guy. He was actually offering prices if you got caught for robbery, caught well, for drugs, uh, here's his, 20000 for murder if he can get you here, off, he here, said. Here's his fee list. I wonder if there was the internet back then. He would have posted these fees online. <laughs> Knowing he was crazy as he is. Okay, his fees ranged from uh, $800 for fixing a robbery case to $1,500 for an assault case and everything in between. And uh, to Stefano, as Gianni just mentioned, uh, allegedly fixed a first-degree murder case for $20,000. Uh, and if anybody's wondering where the money went, it, it, it ends up with the judge. Uh, yeah. what, he, what, what, he, what he had to do with it. But that was Chicago. I mean, uh, Chicago. I mean, I, as well, I we know. knew that, you know, that they su supposedly, and I, I know only what I heard later on when I got so close to them all, they were the ones that got Truman in, and they, they took the credit for getting, getting Senator John F. Kennedy because they had most of the biggest unions, the culinary, the Teamsters. Their, their network was a lot bigger than the international longshoremen in the labor unions in New York. Well, I, I can see that the I can see why they didn't uh, boost uh, Stefano up the ranks because he couldn't handle any of this. Oh, he's a loose cannon. No, yeah. His favorite uh, implement uh, to use was an ice pick, and he used ice picks to stab his victims in the throat, the testicles, and the uh, torso, uh, either to squeeze uh, payments out of them or as a foreplay to killing them. And he was an expert at keeping you alive. No, I mean it's it's. Uh, I, I, we heard, we read about ice picks early on with Murder Incorporated in New York too, but ice picks. You know when you think about it, it's an easy weapon, and uh, it's to make a pun out of. It, it's very penetrating. It really is, <laughs> especially it is. in the eardrum or your testicles. <laughs> well, uh, anyway, but he was uh, successful. I guess uh, success means that uh, uh, if you borrowed money from. From Sam, you better pay him. Yeah. Uh, his victims, uh, loan shark victims, included uh, politicians, lawyers, other criminals. And by the end of the 1950s, he was charging 20 to 25 percent a week for the VIG. Yeah, well, that was for the the high risk, as he said. Yeah, you yeah. were turned down and knew you were a bad payer. That's where he'd okay. come in. He didn't turn down anybody. No, nope. because if you if you wanted to borrow money from him and you were stupid enough even to consider not paying it back, you had a problem. So he would he would lend money to to everybody, uh, drug addicts, high risk gamblers. He didn't care. The, anybody else who uh, ran a, a loan shark operation would be very careful about who they put their money to. They didn't want to hurt anybody because once you hurt somebody, you don't get paid. Hello, but but. Stefano would go to the relatives of the people he just killed. You know your husband? Yeah, where is he? I haven't seen him in a month. Well, he's not coming back. But now you owe me $25,000. No, That's he's the way Well, I remember the one story where he kept this guy 
in his basement and tortured him. And then he invited the family to his brother Mario's restaurant to have a dinner that he was going to show up. They, he waited. They had a four-course dinner. Yeah. And then he paraded the husband nude in front of Burst. his whole family and beat up, I mean, tortured. And they said, if you want him back, it costs you 25000 plus the VIG. I couldn't believe it. He, and, and nobody ran. They were afraid of him. You know, yeah, that, that story was particularly disgusting because this guy wouldn't pay him. He had, he had some kind of a beef, but it wasn't over the money. It was over something else. This, this stuff and all brought him to this restaurant and over the course of many days tortured him with a blowtorch, an ice pick, a gun, and he wasn't he was shooting people, but wasn't killing them. Kept these people alive until they begged to die. But what uh what he was waiting for, what the Stefano was waiting for was the family who De Stefano invited for a big lavish meal, as Johnny said, in this restaurant, and everybody's eating a four course meal and they're having a good time. And then De Stefano gives the word to, to bring up daddy from the basement. This guy was burnt over every inch of his body from a blowtorch, just screaming to be killed. And his family witnessed all that. I mean, that that's to me is nuts. That some of the things he came up with, he was giving some of his big debtors gold watches engraved from Sam, great friend. So if he yeah. killed him, his idea was when they found the body and said, You killed him. What are you talking about? I love that guy. Look, I gave him I, I can see that watch. I gave him that watch. <laughs> right. I mean, some of his Theory was insane. When you he think about actually, it, it was brilliant. He would actually foam at the mouth like a mad dog. Oh anyway, yeah. He would kill. He would kill his his uh, loan shark victims. He didn't care what you owed them. A little, a lot didn't make a difference. In fact, he'd rather kill the people who owed him a little and hesitated to pay. Perhaps not even refused. He just killed them. Yeah, so and to use them as a as a warning, as an example. Yeah. And the funniest thing I thought too, even. With it, with his mo, he used to wear these big black horn rim glasses, similar like to to D. Martin, but there yeah. was only glass in there, and people thought he couldn't see. Yeah. He could read small print, but he wore that as a, basically a disguise. I mean, the guy had so many theories. Oh, okay, and, here's yeah, one. I mean, it's, it's it's crazy. It, it just surprised me. In 1950, Stefano buys a car, which the police later saw him driving around and it was a sign hanging from it that says this is a lemon to make sure everybody would notice it he also festooned the car with grapefruits because he felt he, he bought a bad car and he wanted the world to know it <laughs> but, you know, what about this is a secret society and you got to keep a low profile didn't he know I mean, uh, I mean I can only imagine I mean everybody had fun with him but the old timers that's when they said we got to keep an eye on him because he's too nuts. Well, at, in in the beginning, or even into the fifties, I mean, he was around. He was born in nineteen oh six, so he, he was he's been around for a while. They wanted to keep this guy around because he would do anything. You know, right. they they didn't have to shop around. They didn't care. They just went to Sam, and he would do what he had to do. He also had a a, a pension for acting as his, his own attorney. Oh yeah, he loved that. Yeah, he, yeah, here's something. Uh, uh, he confused in, in one of the incidents where he was acting as his own lawyer. He approached the jury and asked, 
Have you ever seen an elephant? What does this have to do with the price of tomatoes in Chicago? I have no idea. <laughs> uh, moments later, Sam suddenly changed his plea to guilty, telling the jury something has come, <laughs> something has come to light that I had not known before. <laughs> in other words, he, he just figured out he was guilty, so he pled guilty. I mean, the jury found him guilty and fined him a hundred dollars for this for disorderly conduct. He actually went to court to defend himself against a discount charge. That's amazing. And then after all that, he says, oh, something has just come up. I am guilty. And he paid the fine. It's, it's, it's crazy. Do you know I, what his dream was? I know. To own People a pig a farm. Job, a dream vacation, a dream house. His dream was to own a pig farm. And why own a pig farm, you may ask? Okay, so he could feed his victims to the pigs. He even drove to pig farms and would watch the pigs for hours because pigs would eat anything. I mean, I, I mean, this, when you read this stuff, it, it's you say this, this. They thought he was nuts. He was definitely crazy. This, oh, but hold, hold on, man. He had a great sense of humor. You know, one day he, he forced his wife to take his gun and put the barrel into her mouth and demand she pull the trigger. And I can't believe she did. She did. Well, to get away from him. <laughs> I don't know, anyway. but I mean, why? Why, why did she after trigger. that leave him? That's what I well, understand. Well, when she pulled the trigger and the, the, the gun didn't go off, he told her that he removed the bullets. He would tell his story repeatedly to his mob friends for amusement. But I tell he you, was, it's, like, it's crazy because the the, the FBI, Romer, the agent. Well, Bill, Bill Romer was, was a, a, a famous FBI guy. He did uh, the Kennedy assassination. Well, he went to his house. Yeah, he used to go to his house a lot. And he used to come... What I loved a lot about this guy, he, his wife, <laughs> he'd come down with pajamas, but with his schlong hanging out. Yes, he would expose himself like he didn't know he was doing it. Right. That his wife, as most uh, mob wives are, they're very polite, very respectful to the police. Uh, and they, they uh, she offered Bill Roma some coffee, and he drank it, and he says, it tastes kind of bitter. You know where this is going, I assume. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, it was crazy. because, Sam, Sam, But Sam he, he told the agent, this is very expensive coffee. My wife makes it. <laughs> and the guy was coming there drinking the coffee. And then one day, he told him, I'm peeing in your cup. And the guy never had coffee again in his life. In he, the rest of his life. Bill, Bill <laughs> never had coffee again in the rest I of mean, his life. This stuff like, is total insanity. But even these agents, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, the, the one story where that guy he brought home and forced him to have sex with his wife, and then the guy turned himself in because he thought Sam was going to turn him in for raping his wife. <laughs> That's how afraid he was of the guy. I mean, you make these, I mean, how? how? You don't, you know. I don't, I don't know if there's been a book. Uh, there has to have been a book on uh, on on, on the, the Stefano. So what, what what we're telling you folks tonight is just the highlights. Believe me, that there's a lot more. There was a road cop. There was a lot of road cops in Chicago. This guy's name was Tommy Dorso. Dorso said he once saw uh, Stefano run on on uh, roll on the floor with, with spit running from his mouth, begging Satan to show him uh, mercy and screaming over and over again, "I'm your servant. Command me." Oh yeah, he was. Uh, now, the guy, I mean, totally insane. But I mean, and, and then the funniest thing, like we said, to get these kids in the neighborhood, Spalatro, t 
Tony. But you know what? What bothers me, they never talk about Michael. Michael Spalatro was very, I mean, more controlled than Tony. Tony was nuts. And for the people who don't know Tony Spalatro, he was casino movie. I mean, Joe Pesci played him brilliantly, yeah. and he destroyed what we all, us older guys, knew. Michael, we're having a couple of problems with Michael. I mean, he wasn't as bad as brother. No. everybody liked the guy, but uh, people thought people in Chicago thought he was uh, he might be holding out some money. Well, uh, so yeah, they weren't, I mean, they, they weren't totally enamored of him, but uh, he only got whacked because they wanted to lure his brother into the death trap. Well, you know, by the way, Johnny, that guy who uh, who uh, Sam forced to have sex with his wife, he was just Sam was just driving down the street. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was hitchhiking. He was hitchhiking. Take any guy at random. And, and no, he put him. He put stopped him. Got in the car. He had a gun on the guy. <laughs> yeah, forced him to have sex with his wife, and then the guy turns himself in for the reasons you said. He thought he was. But I mean, I don't understand one thing. I mean, <laughs> you know, what is his wife thinking? Why did she just go to the grocery store one night and never come home? She's crazy as he was. I mean, that's when, when you start to hear these stories, it's like insane. And, insane. and he was, I don't, uh, you know, uh, too bad this isn't a uh, a visual medium. But uh, Di Stefano, if you go on Wikipedia, they have a couple of mug shots of him. The guy looks like a raven lunatic, hair all standing up on end. He's cross-eyed. He's unshaven. Uh, his, 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 his tie is all ripped off. However, he was very picky about his appearance. I don't know what mirrors he was looking into. Oh, with the mirrors all over the house? The walls of his house, mirror after mirror after mirror. Uh, yeah, when he used to talk to people, he'd look in the mirror to see how he was effective. Am, am, am yeah, I looking, looking good? I mean, well, but this is, you know, no one knew what this was uh, because they're saying at one minute, He'd be uh, uh, crying, and the next minute he'd be laughing. It's a classic case of really bad bipolarism, but nobody knew what bipolar was. Well, schizophrenia. Is that schizophrenic also? That too, maybe. Uh, but he was obviously, uh, uh, he was undiagnosed. Uh, he well, I'm sure he didn't go to many doctors. <laughs> I wouldn't think. Uh, if, yeah, if he got bad news, I wouldn't want to be that doctor. But uh, Di Stefano uh, often stated that if uh, he hadn't been framed for rape at age 17, he would have been the president of the United States. And I love Trump, this guy. And my, my answer to that is, hey, Trump got elected. Hey, listen, look, you, <laughs> well, not even Trump. Look who we got in there now. He don't know where he is. I mean, no, he went yeah, from one extreme to the next. Great country you live in. But but the the one the one big thing I mean some of his murder cases were huge cases. Okay, there were there were three or two or three basic ones. A guy by the name of Artie Adler. Uh, he uh, uh, ran afoul of, of of Sam somehow uh, in Sam's basement. He would torture people in his basement while his wife was home upstairs cooking dinner. The basement was uh, was uh, uh, soundproof. And, had, was, and he had three kids up there also. Yeah, they were in the house. Uh, and he just wouldn't go down there and shoot them. He tortured them for days on end. And when he got tired, I guess he'd go up, have a little something to eat, take a shower, go back down and continue. Adler owned a restaurant, and he was late on some uh, uh, big payments. And uh, one week, uh, Adler couldn't pay, so Sam invites him. 
to his house. Now, the word must have gotten out that if you go to Sam's house, it's like the Roach Motel. You go in, but you never get out. But this guy showed up, and uh, Sam went to work with an ice pick, and the guy had a heart attack, and he died. And uh, his body was dumped in a sewer. This is a classic story. But you got to remember, he he dumped the body in the winter when it was frozen. (laughs) And it was preserved perfectly. And then when it thawed out, they had problems with the sewer, and they went there. They found this guy. They didn't know. They didn't know when he died. It was preserved perfectly. I mean, he could be nuts, or he's a genius. <laughs> well, Richard Kuklinski, the guy who called, was known as the Iceman. That's why he was known as the Iceman, not because he would kill anybody. Well, maybe him. he maybe he learned from that guy. Well, uh, Kuklinski came after him. Or during him, maybe Kuklinski was the 60s and 70s. But it only stands to the reason you put a guy in a freezer and the clock stops. Yeah. You don't know when he died. Could have died three years ago or 30 minutes ago. You don't but know. for this guy, though, he drove him a couple of blocks and put him down a sewer. He didn't throw her out until like April. <laughs> oh, man. So I, uh, the guy that uh, the victim that Gianni referred to at the beginning of the show is Peter Capaletti. Uh, he tried to run off. This was some, you know, you owe money is one thing, but running off with money, he ran off for $25,000 of uh, Sam's money. And uh, he was caught and brought to uh, Mario Stefanos. That's his brother. Uh, 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 Sam's brother. He brought him to a restaurant in Cicero. Right. Poor guy was stripped naked, handcuffed to a boiling radiator, tied, tied to the radio. Radio Capaletti was beaten and tortured by Sam. He didn't give this to his underlings. He did it. Well, that, this is the guy dead. they brought back to his family. Then. They invited yeah, well, he, Sam invited the family to dinner. Yeah. And then they, well, he wanted to show them what he did to uh, to uh, Capaletti. But Capaletti lived. He didn't die. But I'm, I'm wondering, the, the idea, after three full days and three nights, did the family come up with the money? Because his mother was there? Because, because Sam let him live. Yeah. But I'm thinking they might, they gave him, and, and I mean, the nerve of them when they went down to the basement because they've been waiting for Sam to come. He kept promising, "No, he don't worry, he's coming, he's coming." They had their dessert. No, he's coming. The man of the hour. Way. Then he went and got him, and he said, "The man of the hour." The guy was nude, burnt, beat up. That's got to be. I mean, why didn't they just throw up and run out and call the cops? They were probably frozen in fear, or who knows, you know, who's standing at the doors. But that's a good way to get paid. His no daddy, kidding. Yeah, and if you, if you, and he's, I'm going to let him go. I got to be paid. The, what's today? Uh, Tuesday. I got to be paid Monday. Yesterday. Right now. But his biggest hit, his most, his most brutal, infamous hit, was uh, was killing his own brother. Oh, I know. Michael. He carried out the hit on the orders of uh, Sam Giancana without any second thoughts. Right. When when uh, when questioned about it in 1955, about killing his brother, he refused to answer and began giggling uncontrollably. No, uh, I mean, obviously, he, had, he was so well programmed in his brain. It was, it was, like, it was crazy. I mean, it's, well, and that mean, obviously, I, could, I, could, I knew Sam well. I mean, well enough to hang out with him. Not, not that I was. Well, he was good. You know, he, he was w- with a close friend of mine for years, Phyllis McGuire, which I could never understand that. 
because she had her own money, and the Maguire sisters, for the people who don't know, they were a big singing group, and she wound up as Sam Jean Connor's mistress. He built her a house in Vegas, you couldn't believe, and in Rancho Mirage. In, she loved Paris. In the foyer of the house, there was a 20-foot replica of the Eiffel Tower he had built in the house. <laughs> That's not true. I, I, I have one in my foyer, don't you? <laughs> Come on. Anyway, he kills his brother. And uh, the more they, uh, uh, the, the feds kept asking him about the death of his brother, the harder he laughed until it was uncontrollable and he couldn't stop himself. Uh, he, after he killed his brother, he, 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 he cleaned his brother, put him in the shower, cleaned him up really good. Well, the reason uh, why he didn't want him, he didn't want anybody to know his mother was a drug addict. Yeah, well, I mean, if he was shooting up, they'd know anyway. But so he wanted to, think, to keep the family name, keep the yeah, family right. name clean. <laughs> and uh, he, he gave him a, a, a proper burial, and of course the uh, uh, the burial ground of legend with the mafia, the trunk of somebody's car. That's amazing. I, I'm not happy, no, Gianni. What do you say we, we go to a commercial? Oh yeah. Yeah. We'll be right back. We're going to make some money. And remember, we know where you are, man. Hi, Patrick Picciarelli here, announcing the release of the second book in the Ray Yale Private Investigator series titled Pop Line. In this outing, Yale journeys to Pennsylvania to help a deceased friend's sister who has been charged with the murder of her police officer husband. An outsider doesn't sit well with the local cops and Pittsburgh organized crime figures which leads Yale down a treacherous path of deception, murder, and a crime so ingenious that it has never been duplicated in mystery fiction. Popline is available exclusively on Amazon.com. All right, we're back. Talking we about the great Sam the Madman, DiStefano. And, and, and which the people you might know in the story would be... Tony the Ant Spilatro, now you found out who taught him how to be so insane <laughs> as a kid. Those of you who are still with us and haven't gagged on your dinner, we have the murder of Leo Foreman. Uh, Leo Foreman was leading a double life as a legit real estate agent on one hand and a, uh, and a, a uh, mob loan collector on the other. So he wasn't, he wasn't a, uh, an exemplary uh, citizen. Anyway, uh, he ran afoul of Sam like everybody else did, apparently, uh, just by starting uh, an argument uh, with Sam. That's all he did. And the, 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 the quarrel ended, though, with Foreman throwing Stefano out of his office, uh, which pissed off Sam to no end. And he, he had to get him. So he lured Foreman to his home. Now, by this time, you'd be thinking, this is the last place I want to go is to this guy's house. But he went. Well, Tom uh, Spilatro uh, did it. Didn't Spilatro convince him that well, he wants to apologize to you? He wants, he wants to apologize. He wants to kiss and make up for the earlier argument. <laughs> so once once in the house, uh, he was coaxed to the basement where he was grabbed and, and uh, uh, tied up by uh, Spilatro. Chucky. Uh, yeah, all, all of them. His Mario crew. DiStefano, Sam's brother, and Kumaldi. Uh, then the three proceeded to beat uh, Foreman up and uh, to, to soften him up before Sam would get there. At this point, Sam was not there. Uh, so how did they soften him up? Did they tell him bedtime stories? No. 
Foreman was beaten with a hammer on his knees and also beaten about the head, ribs, and the crotch. Sam, uh, Sam apply, shows up now and applies his normal technique with his ice pick of stabbing Leo 20 times. Not killing him, though. Just They want to keep him alive. They tortured him in a certain way so that he would not kill him. When uh, Foreman had been suffi- sufficiently wounded, a pajama-clad Di Stefano uh, glided in from a n- nearby bedroom, laughing at the wounded man. And according to Cromaldi, who later flipped and turned government's witness, said, Di Stefano screamed and giggled and admonished Foreman, saying, I told you I'd get you. Greed got you killed. Foreman pleaded for his life as uh, De Stefano shot him repeatedly in the buttocks. Well, he's letting this guy just hang on. Oh, yeah. De Stefano and his crew watched Foreman bleed and uh, whimper for a while before torturing him to death with a butcher knife. Far from uh, letting death spoil their party, De Stefano and the boys then took turns excising chunks of flesh from Foreman's arms. That's what I'm saying. I mean, I knew Tony was nuts, but you get into this kind of stuff and this kind of description. That's insanity. Yeah, I, I read a couple of things about Roy DeMeo. Roy DeMeo was like Mother Teresa compared to this Oh, guy. yeah. That's, when I was reading this stuff, they yeah. always talk about Roy DeMeo. Roy DeMeo was a master of dismembering you and cleaning up. These At least people, he, put you out, he put you out of your misery. Right. I mean, this year is going on for days and hours. I mean, it's amazing. It's it's crazy. But, uh, okay. but now it, it just goes before. to prove. I didn't realize how sick uh, Tony was, Spalatro. Oh, he enjoyed that shit too, obviously. Yeah. I mean, but you're, cutting now, up, you're cutting up a guy's arm, taking pieces of his arm, he's still alive. Yeah. I mean, the only thing, I, I was waiting for him to say they ate it or cooked it or something. I didn't know what they were doing. Maybe, unless uh, Sam was a vegetarian, which wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> anyway, now, and just now, the, the outfit is getting a little bit perturbed with the antics of Sam DiStefano. Uh, and a lot of this is coming to a head because the older he gets, the crazy he gets. When Sam had to go to court, he would often demand to speak to a bullhorn in a courtroom. No, but I, I mean, the fact that they allowed him to represent himself, make no these choice. demands, yeah. then a couple of times he'd show up with his pajamas on only. And or they still let him. Yeah. Or on a stretcher. Uh, he would have uh, long-winded rants. He attempted to discredit investigators by accusing them of colluding with, you ready for this? Joseph Stalin, who by that time was dead. dead. Stalin died in 1953. No, but let, let's stop there uh, a minute. Joseph Stalin. <laughs> Let's I mean, analyze what we what we're saying to our own audience. How? Why would a court, federal or state or any court, let this guy go this far? Well, you know, unless if you demand to, to represent yourself, they have to give you that. But if you're disrupting the court, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, Representing yourself, they have to give it. But coming in in pajamas, bullhorns. <laughs> carrying on, I why would you just put him on the straight jacket? The judge could, or, why didn't he order him to, to be tested to see if he's all right? You think maybe the judge uh, was involved with this a little? I mean, I don't, I, I mean, don't, if I, I would I read, if I was reading this in the newspaper, I would say the judge is definitely judge. in, or absolutely. How, how could, why would you let a guy go this far? That's why, even taking the position of our audience listening to us. 
How come that didn't happen? You're in, you're in law enforcement. I mean, it's been off for years. Anyway, Cromaldi flips uh, on uh, on the Sp- uh, Spilatro and uh, and uh, the the, uh, the Stefano brothers, and they were all uh, indicted for the murder of Leo Foreman on the evidence given by uh, uh, Cromaldi. They were uh, uh, incarcerated pending trial with Nobel for uh, a, a trial date set in 1973. At the pretrial, Sam made a circus of the uh, proceedings once again, acting as his own attorney. Sam began to a- uh, alienate the judge and jury, uh, making the trial such a high-profile uh, media event, which was an obvious mistake. I mean, uh, well, I mean, it, it worked for him because now the judge had to, they had to sweep this under the rug. Now the, pub- to, now the public is starting to understand what's going on. Even even if the Stefano managed to get to the judge and to allow him to do this, there has to be a line with it. The judge has to draw it. Yep. I mean, he can't let this go, but and that's what they did. But anyway, uh, 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 his brother Mario, now the table's attorney, and Spilotro devised a plan to keep Sam quiet for good. Uh he, Sam, was now incensed at uh, Ch- Chucky uh, Cromaldi. Yeah, well, he flipped on them. So, so they let him believe they found out where he was. Right, and he believed it. And, so and they Sam believed in that, and, and they convinced, which I can't believe, as crazy <laughs> as Sam is, that he fell for this. And he said, we, the guards are going to turn the other way for a couple hours on Saturday. We can go get him. Yeah. I mean, this sounds like a bad novel. <laughs> But it's a true story. Even I couldn't write it. Uh, You're a great writer. So uh, Mario comes up the driveway, uh, followed by by uh, Tony Spilatro. And as the th- three go in within a, a few feet of each other, Mario steps aside, very polite, and Spilatro pulls out a double-barreled shotgun, sawed off, I assume, that he'd been hiding under his coat, and fired both barrels in qu- uh, quick succession. The first shot, I like the way the writer put this, the first shot, removed Sam's arm. Right. Uh, that's like you're taking off a pair of socks. Yeah. You know? <laughs> right. And the second shot hit him full force in the chest. He was dead before he hit the ground. But not uh, only that, what you said earlier, I had a chuckle because it had to be a sort of shocker because Tony Spilatro was only 5'4". He's not going to hide a whole <laughs> shotgun under his coat. No, but he well, was known. He was known. For, what he used to do, he used to... He used to load his own uh, charge uh, bullets. No, not, they weren't called bullets. Shells. Shotgun. No, but they were the paper shells. He'd yes, get, yeah, but he would hot load them, and then on the top of it, get Coca-Cola bottles, smash them, and put them in it. So when it came at you, it was like a bunch of razor blades. That's why his arm went right off. And the cavity in the chest would have been about six, seven inches in diameter. <laughs> Oh, I've seen shotgun wounds, double uh, O buck wounds, uh, uh, ten feet or less. I mean, it's just devastating. It's like getting hit with an artillery round. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, uh, even though the outfit wanted him gone, uh, Spilotro specifically wanted him gone because he was going to make a fool of himself at the uh, at the Foreman homicide trial. Right. Who knows what he would say? So uh, uh, Sam uh, Stefano had to go. Spilotro was uh, acquitted at the uh, Foreman murder trial. And we all know what happened afterwards with Spilotro. 
Yeah, I mean, to me, when, when even us reporting this, and I want, um, I mean, the, the good news, as a disclaimer for our show tonight, look up this man's record. It's his picture. His pictures. No, but me, all these stories are published. We didn't yeah. make these up. It <laughs> sounds like we made them up. Yeah, we, we only have three quarters of an hour to talk about them. And there's been, there's been at least one book written about them. But you know what I was thinking? Uh, this is an actor's dream. To, to place the, this, this stuff in a, in a movie. Would you just think so? Yeah, but the only thing I don't know and why, you know, I, when I was reading it myself, I'm saying the same thing, but he didn't do anything that ties in, you know, people that they know. Or, most of these people are gone. It's like when somebody came to me with the Johnny Carson story. A couple of people in the room said, who's Johnny Carson? Because they're 30 exactly. years old. Well, this is what happened. Well, to you know, you're a writer. You, you get, you get. This is what happened when, when I wrote the proposal for Ed McMahon's daughter's life story. How, how Ed McMahon treated her and, and what, what a hell, hellish life this kid had. I mean, I, I can't even begin to describe it. That's not the theme of the show. But when the, the proposal went out, our agent, Frank, he loved it. He said, wow, this is a hell of a story. The editors who were looking at this graduated from college about a year and a half ago. Yeah. They all said, <laughs> <laughs> who's Ed McMahon? You know, it got just died in 2011. It wasn't that long ago, you know. But anyway, you, you're right. I mean, it's it. If the movie was ever to be made, would you like to play that part? No. How come? It's a, it's a, it's, you it, can it, it, really it, stretch your. Well, first breath. of all, it's not a glamorous part. <laughs> well, no kid. Really? I didn't know. Thank you. No, I, I don't want to be rolling around the court and in pajamas and your bullhorn. I, I mean, you got to be a really. Uh, that, no, no, but thank you for the offer. No, I okay. don't, I don't, you know, don't want to do gonna, it, please. I was going to have my agent call your agent, but I guess that's not going to no, happen. No, please, no. <laughs> yeah, but right. I mean, we, we, whoever this guy, I forgot who was, obviously, the email was a couple of weeks ago. But yeah. just for our audience who are, is listening, this was a request of somebody. And I know a lot of people in Chicago. I heard the name, but, you know, he died in 73, I was really spending a lot of time on the on the the QT in the sixties and seventies with my good friend Nick Nitty from Chicago, but these names are all so not. I mean, the stories to go on and on and on I mean, are insane. But with that said, please send us more cards, letters, the mailbag. This is where we're getting these stories from. Pat, another great idea. show. Another great show, my man. Yeah, I, I had. You know, it's 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 so grotesque, but it's actually funny. No, it's entertaining. It's and I actually feel that it's not a true story. Yeah, no, but you know, as they say, you can look it up. Yep. Yeah, I mean, look this one up. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Well, thank you all again, and thank you for supporting Hollywood Godfather podcast, man. We really. Love you, be careful, and tune in next week. Have a good night, Johnny. Good night, everybody. If you're feeling sad and lonely, there's a service I could render. I'm the one who loves you only. I could be so warm, so tender. Call me. Don't be afraid, you can call me. Maybe it's late, but Thank just you for tuning me. in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. 
You can contact Gianni Russo, Patrick Picciarelli, or myself, Megan Horan, with your questions and comments through the contact section of our website, hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com, which is where you can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Godfather and on Facebook, as well as leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd like to know what you'd like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. Most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your messages. Good night. Don't be afraid, you can call me. Maybe it's late, but just call me. Tell me and I'll be around.